Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. I was talking with someone this week about going back to the Camino later this year. They were just so excited to see things slowly, very slowly, returning to normal in Spain. We agreed to hope cautiously. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a series of pilgrimages across the world. The most famous is the Camino Frances, an 800-kilometre or 500-mile walk from St. John Peter Port on the French side of the Pyrenees, almost right across Spain, to Santiago de Compostela. The remains of Christ's apostle St. James the Stronger are interred beneath the cathedral in Santiago. Indeed, Santiago de Compostela translates as St. James under a field of stars. Some say the Camino follows the ley lines of the earth, the plant's energy pathways. Others say it follows the Milky Way. I remember walking from Arges to Burgos on a particularly hot day. I decided to leave before sunrise to beat the heat. It was pitch dark as I walked out of the old town after a dreadful night's sleep in the municipal albergue in Arges. And as we cleared the artificial lights of the old town, our eyes started to adjust to the nightlight and the canopy of stars began to emerge before us. It was easy to walk by starlight. The Milky Way was enormous in the night sky. You can get lost easily when you're walking, looking at the stars. And to be honest, it's the best feeling in the world. The Irish poet Thomas More wrote, Thus, when the lamp that lighted, the traveller first goes out. He feels a while benighted, looks round in fear and doubt. But soon the prospect clearing by cloudless starlight on he treads, and thinks no lamp so cheering as that light which heaven sheds. We'll be back on the path, in the darkness, under the stars, before we know it. In the meantime, we can dream. (laughs) I've said here more than a hundred times the Camino has the ability to change lives. It can provide clarity, perspective and reflection. It can also provide balm for a soul in need. I received a message this week from Father Stephen Rindahl, who runs what's called Warriors on the Way. He's on the line from Texas in the US. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you. Appreciate being on the show. Yeah, let's start with a simple question. How has life for a priest in lockdown, uh, how has it been being a shepherd who's been expected to keep a safe distance from his flock? Uh, It's a challenge. The whole concept of pastoral ministry is to be in touch with people and, and to be forced to at least limit Limit, if not eliminate that contact, is a challenge. Uh, so you figure ways to adapt and do as much as possible online uh, as far as keeping people encouraged, posting messages, and so on and so forth. But that's not the same as being together and worshiping in community. Yeah, and we were talking um, in the first week of June, and there is unrest on the streets of the United States. It must be even more difficult for you to to reach out to keep people feeling safe in their spiritual community. Yeah, that's a that's a big challenge. Big yeah. challenge all across the United States, and the 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 reality that there's no easy answer when a, when you've reached a tipping point where anger and frustration overflows so wildly as it has uh, 
I, I think every party involved realizes it needs to be stepped back and, and allowed for the opportunity for some more uh, peaceful heads to prevail. But how do you, how do you accomplish that? Mm. Well, it's fr- from out over in Australia, looking back to the United States, it looks just a dreadful situation. I pray very much for you and, and really hope that it can all be reconciled because um, there are a lot of people hurting, a lot of a lot of just very upset human beings. It's awful to watch. It's terrible. Um, you spent 31 years in the military. How do you reconcile the spirituality that lives in your heart and, and the violence of conflict? Yeah, that's a good question as well. Appreciate that. There's a... There's a a principle at play for for me at least in taking the role as a chaplain, and that is everybody is in need of good spiritual guidance, and those that are facing times that are harder than than others, those that are involved. And, and directly uh, affected by trauma, mm. most particularly need spiritual care. And so I dedicate myself to, to that. And the, you know, I let other people argue as to the validity or invalidity of any particular action uh, the, the church has over the millennia tried to figure out a myriad of different ways of answering the reality of violence in the world. But um, my my take on it is each and every one of us needs to know that God cares about them. And that's the part of the, that's the part of the equation that I'm capable of participating in. And I let the other decisions to other people. Great answer. Hey, um, tell us about Warriors on the Way. All right. Well, Warriors on the Way is a purpose-designed pilgrimage program on the Camino de Santiago, obviously. The last thing I did in the Army was develop the Army Chaplain course on how to provide a ministerial response to uh, PTSD and moral injury. Moral injury, not as well known in the world as PTSD is, but moral injury is the is the reality of even when a person does everything right, uh, being involved in combat can create a, a sense of unrest and a sense of guilt. And so I took the, I, I researched that, I researched what was behind it and, and what were the effective ways of responding to it and developed a course and taught it for a couple of years, and then I retired. I took that opportunity of my retirement to walk the Camino as just my own, uh, kind of figuring out what I was leaving behind and what I was doing next. And I realized how healing that the Camino was just in and of itself. I thought it'd be great to bring other veterans out and have them experience the same thing. So I I took all that research that I had done for the PTSD and moral injury course and 
sat down and kind of sketched out an idea of what it would look like to to intermesh the information on PTSD and moral injury with the activities of the Camino and, and designed this pilgrimage for veterans. And we've now been able to run a few pilgrimages and we do before and after PTSD assessments and we're demonstrating just incredible results with people experiencing 70% reductions in symptoms in, over the course of the pilgrimage. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, we'll talk about the ins and outs and, the, and, and all of the logistics of those pilgrimages a little later. But I wanted to talk about post-traumatic stress disorder that you, you, you mentioned there. Here in Australia, and I'm certain it's the same in America, um, veterans once came home and sort of drank themselves into oblivion because it was expected that you just coped. Um, but of course, they didn't cope. So what? Yeah, that's is, not that's not unique to Australia. No, no, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, what's the message then to someone listening who perhaps hasn't won the battle of their mind? Yeah the um, the the first thing is, and it's said so frequently, it borders on becoming trite. But the there's a big benefit it's it's the kind of the first step to the healing process to recognize that your your mind and your body are actually acting in a normal way to having experienced an extremely non-normal event all right and and so when you when you are able to accept that message then you can then you can kind of unpack the the totality of what you're going through and you and it's a bit like putting a puzzle together you see you start to see where the different pieces fit and where they're connected and 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 how when you sit there and and work on them and and the larger picture begins to show itself some of that you can do by yourself um but it's really helpful to have that that outside observer to say, have you noticed that you do this? Have you noticed this other thing over here? Um, not telling the person what to do, so to speak, but just you know, just being a, a friendly set of eyes to recognize things that sometimes you're just too close to it to see in yourself. Yeah, uh, the the ability I think to take on the challenge is a challenge itself, isn't it? Because you think, oh, to, to, to deal with all of these things I've seen, to go back and potentially revisit all of the, the horror um, and the, the catastrophe, the thought of undertaking that is such a massive task in itself that you'd be reluctant even to take the first step, wouldn't you? Yeah, and that that is a big part. That is a big part of the of the challenge for for pretty much for everybody at one level or another. In that, you know, the the idea of PTSD or the reality of PTSD, the reality of moral injury is that it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, and people don't tend to jump in and and do things that make them uncomfortable. Yeah. And um, it's a little bit like exercise. I think that's where the Camino kind of lends itself 
in that when you do exercise, it causes discomfort to the body, but you come out of it stronger. And so it's it's really a matter of when you're looking at this PTSD and you're looking at the moral injury, if you're if you're able to kind of prep yourself in advance that, yes, I recognize that this is going to be uncomfortable, but when I'm done, I'll come out stronger. It's going to help increase your your the likelihood of success. Yeah, your motivation. Hey, Father Steve, you mentioned there a couple of times moral injury. Just explain that. I don't know much about moral injury. Yeah, uh, thank you. The the uh, Technically, moral injury has been made kind of a subset of PTSD, but it is, it is really, if you look at it, uh, a unique condition PTSD is fear-based. Something bad happened to me, and uh, I was at threat to, you know, body or life, life or limb. Uh, and so, when when something reminds me of that, it creates a little fear response, and that's that's pretty easy to understand. Hmm. So you have, you know, the kind of stereotypical: you're around a lot of gunfire in a combat environment. And then when you get home, the similar sounding fireworks stirs or triggers that little bit of fear within yourself because it it's too similar. It creates a, a sympathetic response back to when those same sounds represented something that was something someone trying to trying to do you harm. Moral injury, on the other hand, is a is a guilt response in that whether what you did was considered right or wrong as far as the Hague and Geneva Conventions, laws of land warfare, the various rules of engagement that govern how combat is conducted, you simply personally don't feel okay with it. Uh, from the, the theological perspective, and we're all made in the image of God, and it's not natural to cause destruction to another image bearer. You may be in a situation where that 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 a conduct of combat is is legal and has been justified by the various uh, just war theory principles, which is kind of the international standard. Yeah, but it doesn't make you feel better about it. Sure, right. And so the questioning that's res- that results, a sense of guilt that re- that results, and and this isn't this isn't everybody. It's not the majority of people, but for those who uh, find themselves in a position of questioning, what, was what I did, was what I participated in, the right thing or the wrong thing to do? Uh, it becomes a very real problem, and it can be debilitating. Wow, so that's moral injury. That's fascinating. I'd love to, I might do some more research about that because that's something I think that you wouldn't necessarily need to carry with you as a result of conflict or or war. Um, But yeah, that's a fascinating concept, moral injury. Hey, you know, uh, St. James the Stronger, uh, Christ's apostle whose remains are interred in the cathedral in Santiago, sought to spread Christ's word. You're carrying on his tradition. What did you learn about yourself 
and your life's journey when you walk that first Camino? The most wonderful thing for me in walking the Camino the first time was I walked it, I intended to walk by myself. I just wanted time to think and uh, to think and to pray. But as you know, you don't ever walk by yourself for very long. Yeah. And so the, the next thing I know, I'm walking with a small group of people and, and, you know, People, people have the reason why they go on the Camino that they're aware of and the reason why they go on the Camino that they're not aware of. And in the course of the conversation and interacting with these other people, frequently um, coming to the conversation as a priest, that reason for going on the Camino that I wasn't actually consciously admitting, uh, this speaking for the other people, Yeah. And myself as well, at one level or another, came to the surface, and so it was this, you know, the the kind of general definition of a sacrament is something that a tangible way of of coming and experiencing God, and and so I I found that I was not. Um, celebrating the sacraments so much is I had actually anticipated uh, instead attending the various pilgrim masses along the way but I was in a way living sacramentally as I simply walked and talked with these other people and, and helped them discern that God actually is active in their life and cares about them if they would slow down a minute and pay attention yeah, that, that, yeah. what a lovely thing for you to, to take back with you. And, you know, you say on the Warriors on the Way website, it's a time to think, consider, contemplate, plan and pray all while putting one foot in front of the other. I've said here on the, on the podcast many times that the Camino is a metaphor for life. Why do you struggle or why do we struggle to think, consider and contemplate every day? All of us. Uh, I think that's largely a reflection of how harried we've allowed our lives to become. There's there's constantly something demanding our attention, and uh, I think of the book that was, oh, it's 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 been out at least a few decades or longer, called the um, the tyranny of the urgent. And we just because something appears to require attention right away, we allow it to take the lead in whatever we're doing and distract us from more important tasks. Because just because it's urgent doesn't mean it's important. And, and between between the way our our work cycle has has developed with the interconnectivity. We never get to leave work behind because everyone will be uh, remain in contact or reachable via f- telephone and, and everything else, which, you know, you, when the, when the phone was wired to the wall, we were a freer people. And the, we just, we just don't allow ourselves the space and the time to contemplate and I think we're poorer for it. 
I love that when the phone was connected to the wall. Yeah, well, it's so true, isn't it? Being connected all the time. Um, your warriors on the way have the opportunity to participate in the ancient ritual of leaving burdens at the foot of the Cruz de Ferro. Uh, what do you tell them to expect, first of all, and tell us about the ceremony itself when you get there? Oh, yeah, thank you. That's that's such an important part of the overall pilgrimage. And I have to say, uh, due to, you know, due to the way our life schedule works, uh, very few people have the luxury of getting away for 35 or 40 days that it might take to walk from the French side of the Pyrenees to Santiago. And so using the at least in the United States, rather standard two-week window for a vacation time or holiday. We um, we start our Camino, we start the Warriors on the Way pilgrimage in Astorga, uh-huh. and as you may as you may recall, that's only it's only a day and a half or so away, depending on how fast you're walking away from the Cruz de Ferro. So the, the first thing is a few weeks prior to our departure, I will have the, everybody who's going on the pilgrimage select a stone or stones representing a burden to leave at the Cruz de Ferro and start carrying it before we ever depart so that they at least partially get that same experience of, of physically carrying the burden you know, having a couple stones in your pocket for for a couple of weeks gets you in that mind that you really want to get rid of them. Mm. And and I will reinforce that message that you're carrying these stones around so that they can become the tangible representation of something that you really want to get rid of. You want to leave at the foot of the cross. And so we'll go... Uh, we start in Astorga, and then we go up. Uh, we walk the first day. We, we're sh- just a little bit short of, of the cruise at that point. And then we get up extra early the next morning so that we can get up to Cruise to Faro at daybreak, or slightly before daybreak. And we celebrate the, we celebrate the mass there at the, at the foot of the Cruise to Faro, slightly off. Um, and... Each person has the opportunity at that point, and they're not forced to, it's not mandatory, but they're given the opportunity to talk about what it is they want to leave behind, what has been what has been a burden to them. And it's a it's just truly a cathartic experience. Because then we we make each thing that's been voiced a special intention of the mass, and then when complete, people take their their stones, pick them back up, go over, carry them to the, carry them to the cruise, and and leave them there, with the specific instruction. Just like you're leaving the stone there, you leave the burden there. Don't, don't go in a couple hours from now. Pick it back up. Be intentional and leave it behind. And consistently, people will, after we're done, say it was great to get in Santiago. You know. You know Amazing, you're finished and the cathedral's gorgeous and everything else. But the day that made the big difference was the day at the Cruz de Ferro. Wow. Yeah, while you were talking, I was casting my mind back and 
some of the things I saw there, um, and I've been there three times, um, some of the things I saw, some of the reactions from people was really quite startling, quite staggering. They, it really is a very, very special place. And it's lovely, as you said, that that's only a day and a half after you leave Astoria. It's very early in your in your uh, in your Camino, and so those warriors are uh, are enlightened so early in the peace. That from there on, that's all good news, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, very yeah, much. Fantastic. You know, veterans who participate in Warriors on the Way are escorted by other veterans and. I wonder, Father Stephen, do the mentors who have dealt with hardships sometimes find themselves having to deal with their old demons again? Does the Camino bring back some of their own ghosts? I there's I think every time every time you you go, something something new comes to comes to light. And so there's um there's a principle in in spirituality, uh, Christian spirituality, that you have this kind of a three phase approach to God. And uh, the first is purgative; you're getting rid of things in your life, and then you, and then it's illuminative; you're you're seeing you're you're seeing yourself more clearly, and then and you're seeing God more clearly. And and then unitive, you have this experience of, of a union with God that that transcends anything that you've done before. But the result of that is that you see yourself much more clearly than you did before, and now you realize that there's still things in your life that you need to get rid of, and you cycle back to the purgative, and you start cleaning out your life a little bit more, and then you have a clearer vision of yourself, and you're capable of entering into a closer union. And in that closer union, once again, you see yourself more clearly than you ever have, and you realize there's still more things to clean out. Um, and I think the the Camino lends itself to that process. And so when you when you go and you go repeatedly, each time you get a little bit closer, and every time you get a little closer, you see more that still needs to be worked on. Well put. I love that. that. That's so true. So true. And I think that's really the answer to the, to the question I, I pose here often, and that is, why do you think it keeps calling us back? Yeah, very true. There, uh, there's, uh, I guess that goes a bit with the observation I made earlier, that we have the reason that we know we're going, and then there's that reason that's buried down below that, that we pray comes to light by the time we're done. Well, we keeps calling us back because there's more than one reason buried down below, and you, you'll be you'll be blessed if you get more than one of them dealt with at a time. <laughs> Boy, that's so true. So let's talk logistics and 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 the nuts and bolts. How does it work? Do the veterans themselves pay to participate? No, no. Um, we are the. Um, the the category in the United States is called a 501c3. That's a that's a Internal Revenue Service, the tax uh, designation for a nonprofit organization. Um, I'm not sure. I, th- I think your terminology would be a registered charity. Okay, yeah, if that's right. Yeah. Uh, so we're a registered charity, 501c3. 
And so anybody that gives us a donation, that donation then becomes a tax benefit to them when they file their annual income tax. So we, we gather donations through the year so that every pilgrim that gets approved, every veteran that gets approved to be a pilgrim is completely sponsored. They have no expense other than their personal needs. And when I say that, it's, you know, they've got to have their passport taken care of before they get here. They have to have the clothes they want to hike in and their hiking boots or shoes. And, and they need to get to San Antonio. Everybody starts together and finishes together. So we do draw pilgrims from all across the United States, but we all start in San Antonio. So you have to get yourself to San Antonio. But once you're here, the, the Warriors on the Way uh, organization pays for lodging, transportation, meals, the round trip to Spain and back, ground transportation in Spain. So from the moment you land in San Antonio until you're back on a plane going back to your own home, you've got no personal expenses other than whatever souvenirs you might want to buy once arriving in Santiago. And we do pay for the, for the meals, but you, if a person happens to be a, a, a heavy-duty snacker, they, they're, they're going to buy their own Coca-Colas and candy bars and whatever else. You know, <laughs> we, we're going we're to feed you what you need, but uh, we're, not feeding, we're not filling you up with candy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's wonderful. That's fantastic. And so you walk uh, for just under two weeks. Tell us about Correct. what happens as a rule when the warriors get to Santiago. Um, it, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, as you know. You've been walking and and the strange combination of completely free and that you have no other worries and at the same time restricted you're you've got a pattern each day uh but now you've now you've got arrived in the city and you're able to do whatever you want and so the um we attend the pilgrims mass where we go and get our compostelas we, you know, we do the, the typical things, but then at the same time, allow people to explore uh, and do some activities that are going to be personal priorities. And, and different people choose different things. Uh, we've had people enter into the cathedral and, and, and just spend hours in adoration. We've had others do the the tour of the grounds that, that, you know, other than just the inside, you know, some of the different tours that are available in the area. Uh, we had some people run over to that old city market, uh, just, just depending on what they want to do. But the interesting thing is to, to me, and I, I didn't expect it the first time, but I, I realized uh, after the first time, is I kind of expected everybody to set their own schedule and, and do what they wanted for the entirety of the time in Santiago. But everyone will go off and do what they want to do initially and then make sure that they all meet again together for, for, the, for the evening meal and then again for breakfast the next day. 
And so this community that built over the two weeks is uh, a stronger bond than the call of doing anything and everything that the city provides. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and no matter wh- where you are from or whatever reason you are in Santiago, people really seek out those people that they've walked with in the last few days. Those They talk about Camino family and people that you've met along the way. It's a lovely way to wind it all up, to wrap it all up. Very much. Yeah. What do you think St. James would make of what of the warriors of, on the way, Father Stephen? Oh, I think he'd be a great supporter. Uh, I guess I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a, it's an, I've I've thought about it quite a bit um, actually because of the the different way. Uh, different ways St. James is represented, right? You've got, you've got the, mo- at this point, most common and prevalent uh, gentle pilgrim dressed as a medieval era pilgrim, floppy hat and cloak and, and covered in shells. Uh, but then you have the older, um, what was dominant, uh, Santiago Matamoros, you know, the the destroyer of Moors yeah. on the, on the white charger wielding the sword and, uh, and motivating the reconquista. Um, I've, I've, I think I've kind of split the, the middle. I've tried to split the middle between those two. Uh, in that, uh, pilgrimage, this desire to move from where you are to where you want to be and a big part of that particularly in spiritual practices and this in pilgrimage is clearly a, a spiritual practice is to rid your life of those things that are holding you back and i've i've reinterpreted Santiago Matamoros um, to be the trampling under feet and the eviction of those things we don't want in our life. And while uh, while some of the iconography of the of the Moors being trampled is is unfortunate, you we turn or I turn and and take and say, well. If I substitute that that's simply a representation for the the various failings in my life, the sin in my life, the bad practices in my life, and, and I want those trampled under feet, I want those driven from my soul, I can, I can reframe the old Santiago and bring him into congruence with the new Santiago of the pilgrim and see where one complements the other and I, I i pray that's the case for each of our pilgrims and for you yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I i i that that has developed now from within me for as a as a kind of a culmination of of chewing on this through multiple yeah. pilgrimages yeah and uh, i well i asked that making for, sense of it yeah yeah well i asked that because your life as a chaplain your chaplaincy your service 
and now your service in the community and and later in the, on the Camino, it must be in many ways a pilgrimage in itself, a Camino, your life's journey. Oh, most definitely. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting thing also when you look at uh, and it, it, there's only a couple places in in the Bible and and even there it depends on which translation you you use as as you're reading text. But there's a few places where you'll find the term pilgrimage used. And then in the first 350, 500 years of the church, the what's referred to as the patristic era, the use of the term pilgrimage, that's always reflecting on the person's life. It's not it's not a discussion of an actual physical travel. It's the, it is the, it is the travel of your soul over the course of life. And the physical pilgrimage came, came much later, actually. The idea of, of taking this, this long physical journey uh, for the sake of influencing your soul is a, is, a, is a later understanding of the term pilgrimage. And so we can find we can find that going on that physical pilgrimage will kind of put us in the right mindset and the and and open our soul a little bit to the original purpose or the original definition and understanding of the term pilgrimage and and it reflects that Eastern idea that I, th- I think the East has a much better concept of the totality of humanity when it comes to recognizing that we are holistic, our our bodies, our souls, and our spirit all work together. So if if we're if we get our body in movement with a with an intention to benefit our souls, and our souls get to move along with the body, and both benefit as a result. Do you remember, Father Stephen, how you or where you were and when it was that you first heard about the Camino? I, I remember I was I was in South Carolina. Um, I was in South Carolina. I was experiencing it as was hinted at a little earlier, uh, kind of figuring out some things in my own life and why I wasn't quite feeling the way I ought to. Uh, and just exploring some spiritual practices that I wasn't familiar with, and and that w- that ranged everywhere from going on uh, different activities, silent retreats, and ultimately I got to pilgrimage, and I was primarily familiar with the idea of people going on pilgrimage to the Holy Land, people going on pilgrimage to Rome. Uh, people going on pilgrimage to one of the various Marian shrine sites, such as Lourdes or Fatima. And in the process of looking at, at pilgrimage, I found out about a, a pilgrimage to Assisi, uh, Assisi, Italy, of the St. Yeah. Francis of Assisi fame. And that pilgrimage was being led by a Franciscan monk who had spent a career in uh, the Navy and Marine Corps, pointed out in the literature for this military-specific pilgrimage uh, something about St. Francis that I didn't know prior, and that is 
that he was a combat veteran and had spent a year as a prisoner of war. And uh, so this, this pilgrimage to Assisi was designed with the idea of modern-day veterans learning from this medieval veteran. And it was quite effective. I, the uh, Father Conrad, the Franciscan that led it, was brilliant, did an, just an amazing job. Uh, but he had just earlier in the year walked the Camino himself. And so we discussed that. And it was a year after going to Assisi, not quite a year after going to Assisi, then I walked the Camino for the first time. How, how do you explain the Camino to people who ask about it? Uh, uh, it, it depends on how much time they have because I tend <laughs> to talk too much. Um, if, if, they, if they say... If, they, if they're short on time, I'll, I'll, I tell them that the road is a hard but faithful teacher and pilgrimage is a prayer with your feet. Um, if they've got more time, then I kind of discuss more the the, the background and, yeah. and, and get into greater detail. Um, but, but I really try to emphasize the idea that if you go on the Camino with a with a attitude with an attitude towards allowing new experiences to happen and and not being set on setting your own agenda that what you will experience is greater than anything that you can plan for yourself and i suppose the question that needs to be asked is um do you see great change in these veterans that you take with you on the camino Oh, absolutely, absolutely. The um, just to to give a, a a couple testimonies. We we do guarantee the anonymity of everybody who's sure. involved. Uh, but you know, when you have someone tell you after the third or the fourth day, uh, and you're you're every time you look for him, he's in bed, sound asleep, and and you, my attitude is the person who's leading this group saying, you know, you really ought to explore this town, this village, this city. There's so much incredible stuff here. And his response is, I haven't been able to sleep through the night in over 10 years. Uh-huh. And now I have the opportunity and I'm capable of sleeping. Um, you know, just the just the healing in that, you know, yeah. if, if you're familiar with the the horrific effects of not having proper sleep <laughs> and just just restoring to somebody the ability to sleep through the night is amazing yeah um one of the testimonies that was given at the cruise de Ferro was of a person who was specifically a, a member of the medical community and saved an incredible number of lives providing immediate medical care to the wounded, never lost the life of a service member um, at, at his hands. Uh, but in one particular event, some, some, some children, some, some innocent children were, were caught in the middle. Uh, there was nobody was specifically at fault. A uh, gunfight erupted. Uh, and children were present, and some of them were wounded. Um, and 
and he wasn't able to save the lives of those children, at least not all of them. Uh, and he, he carried this in, incredible burden. And he, he said when he left the stones at the cruise to Pharaoh that, you know, I mean, they're only little stones, right? They're only a few ounces yeah. apiece. But he, he said it was, it was like just taking this incredible weight of multiple bodies off of him, off of his shoulders. So, um, you know, those, those are kind of a, a couple of the dramatic yeah. and, and retellable stories. Some of them not necessarily appropriate for the, sure. for this forum. Sure. But that kind of gives you, that kind of gives you a feel for the healing that goes on. And we can't possibly imagine the relief. It's unimaginable how grateful they would be for the opportunity to get on with their lives again. I mean, you can't imagine what it would be like. You just can't. Yeah, and and multiple multiple members, uh, former pilgrims, uh, I refer to them now as our alumni, have have spoken about the desire to go back on their own, bringing their, bringing their wives, bringing their children, yeah. uh, bringing their husbands, uh, in our female veterans. Um, so, so, you know, that, you know, it's life changing when they want to make sure that their family gets to experience this. I've had wives contact me and, and, and send me notes of thanks for the change that they've, that they've recognized in their in their husbands after getting home, so it's it's incredible. It's extremely rewarding. That's that's great. Look, just to wind up, um, I'm going to give the the details uh, after the interview how people can donate and and to learn more about Warriors on the Way. But if there's somebody who's stumbled upon the podcast as a means to sort of Maybe they're, maybe they're thinking about walking the Camino de Santiago and are not quite sure, not necessarily veterans, but what would you say to somebody thinking of walking the Camino? Well, if you're thinking about it, then then you need to do it. <laughs> um, five, do some initial planning and get a, get, don't get overwhelmed. Um, Get yourself used to walking a little bit every day. Uh, don't get intimidated, uh, but commit to doing it and do it. It, it will be a life-changing event. Well, I want to say, first of all, I wish you well, Padre, but secondly, congratulations um, for the work you're doing. Um, you're not just making an, having an impact on lives, you're changing lives. And that must be very rewarding. And, and I'm certain uh, your mentor, <laughs> Jesus Christ, would have been very happy that, uh, that one of his flock is the leader that you are. Um, so congratulations. And, and walk on. I hope Warriors on the Way is not only successful once this current pandemic crisis is over and done with, but many years to come. Good luck and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. I appreciate being on. Buen Camino. Buen Camino. Father Stephen Rindal there. Father Steve runs what's called Warriors on the Way. You can find and sponsor veterans via warriorsontheway.org. Warriorsontheway.org. The Irish poet Thomas More wrote, 
Thus, when the lamp that lighted, the traveller first goes out. He feels a while benighted, looks round in fear and doubt. But soon the prospect clearing, by cloudless starlight on he treads, and thinks no lamp so cheering as the light which heaven sheds. We'll all be back on the Camino before we know it. Until then, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere.